You're listening to Shalise's Podcast. All right, well, Father, I thank you for yet another broadcast. For class number two in love school, I thank you, Father, that your love is transformative, Father. Your love is the fuel of our lives. Thank you that you love us with your agape love. Thank you that you love us with your perfect love. And your perfect love gives us permission to be loved and to love ourselves and others the same way that you do. And so, Father, as we hop off in today's teaching, I just pray that you would lead the conversation in my mind and that you would speak through my mouth, Father, that you would impart just a a powerful impartation of your love, Father. I pray that people would experience your love, Father, that experience that far surpasses knowledge and that we would become rooted and grounded in your love, Father, that we would be filled with your love, filled with your glory, filled with your presence, Father, and a revelation, Father, of the gospel as the proclamation of your love for humanity, as your proclamation of your love for your creation. And so, Father, we just give you thanks in advance, and uh, we just expect incredible transformation to come from today's teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, awesome, you guys. Good morning. We are in lesson number two of Love School, and last episode, you guys know if you were there or you've heard it, uh, we really dove into the unconditional nature of God's love. And we talked about how the illusion of separation is really this core delusion, this core deception that keeps us from, number one, experiencing God's love, and number two, from loving others and ourselves the way God does. We talked about how so many times we relate to the topic of love. You know, we read scriptures like 1 Corinthians 13, and we read about God's love, and we take it on like it's this to-do list. Or we read about the fruit of the spirit and we take it on as like, this is this, is this you know, I need, to, <clears throat> I need to manufacture joy and manufacture patience and I need to manufacture or internally separately generate love somehow apart from God. And this shows up in our lives in so many different ways. It shows up as unworthiness. It shows, us, shows up in our lives as performance. And it is a futile attempt to get something that we already have, which is God's agape love, that God loves us perfectly, not because of what we do. It's not a performance-based love, but it is unconditional. It doesn't have any conditions attached to it. It's just based upon who God is, that God is love, and that when we recognize that we are loved, that that's how we begin to love God. It's not that we, you know, God loved us. We were first loved. And then as we recognize how loved we are, it gives us permission to rest in God's love and begin to love and unconditionally accept ourselves and begin to love and unconditionally accept others. We begin to see ourselves and others. In fact, we begin to see all of creation as loved, as accepted, as perfect in Christ. And so today I want to head a little bit of a different direction and I want to talk about a very popular parable. We all know the story, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. And it's funny because we we name it that, right? We call it the, the, the parable of the prodigal son rather than the parable of the father's great love. You know, it's funny how I feel like even sin consciousness or our focus on what's wrong 
caused, you know, causes us to even label this parable is, you know, this guy is the prodigal son. When there's an elder brother, why don't we call it the the parable of the <clears throat> the religious brother, you know, but no, we, we focus in on what's wrong. And what I want to share today in this parable is that really both sons had it wrong. Both sons were living out of the illusion of separation and how there are really two manifestations of the illusion of separation that are exemplified by the prodigal son and the elder brother. Uh, on the on the prodigal son side, it's a sense of unworthiness. It's a sense of unconsciousness. It's, it's a sense of that I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of unconditional acceptance. And then of course, on the elder brother side, it's the story of I'm earning love and I'm withholding love from others who aren't earning earning the father's love. So to kick things off, uh, I want to read the story and then we're going to take a little bit uh, deeper dive into both of these conditions that keep us separated from the party, <laughs> that keep us separated from the celebration of, of our inheritance, of, of all that Jesus has provided, of being in union with the father and enjoying the bounty of his love and acceptance. Okay, so let's kick off today. I'm going to go ahead and just read the parable uh, just to get us familiar uh, with it again. And I'm going to read out of the NIV uh, translation, which is interesting. They label this as the parable of the lost son. Uh, I think it's interesting if you read in different translations, the way that they call, you know, what they call the pot, the, the parable. Uh, it's only in the passion translation that they actually call it. And this is what this one says. It says the loving father. So the passion translation says, this is the parable of the loving father, but the NIV translation calls it the parable of the lost son, or in many times it's the parable of the prodigal son, right? So I'm going to read it in the NIV, which is the parable of the lost son is how they label it. And I'm just going to read it to you guys. It says, Jesus continued, and he's telling the story, right? He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to feel his, fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out, set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring him the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come. He replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, was, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. 
So he, his father went out, pleaded with him, but he answered this father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you gave me, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So again, this is a, a pretty popular story, you guys. I know most of us, if we've been in church for half a second, have heard this story. But I want to take it from a little bit of a different lens today. And I really want to talk about <clears throat> the problems with both of these sons and talk about the fact that both of these sons were living under the illusion that 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 they were separate from their father. Okay, these are both conditions of our hearts that happen when we do not recognize our union with God. You know, Jesus pronounced, right, during his ministry that the Father and I are one. And then in John 17, he prays not only for his disciples, but for everyone who would ever believe in their message that we would be as one just in the same way that the father was in the son and the son was in the father and that we in this oneness would that would be our testimony that that we would know that we are loved the same way that jesus is loved by the father the same way that the father loves the uh, that, that uh, jesus loves the father and the father loves jesus and then it says that the world would know us because of our love and what kind of love is this? This is an unconditional love. This is an agape love. This is not a, a love that you earn. This is not a love that you can lose. This is a love that is experienced in the Trinity. It's the perfect love of God where the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are in this triune dance, this triune party, if you will, of unconditional agape love. And we are invited into this party, into the celebration of love through our union with Jesus. And so when we look at this parable, when we look at the prodigal son, right? This, the, the, the prodigal son, the lost son, did not deserve, so, you know, this party, so to speak, right? He had taken what belonged to him, his, his inheritance, and he squandered. He was not a good steward, okay? Let's, I mean, don't even get me started with all of our teachings that we have in the Christian world about stewarding things for God. But the idea of stewarding your inheritance is a <clears throat> separated concept. It is not a, an idea where your, your inheritance is not something that can run out. Your inheritance is not something that we have to steward. It is something that belongs to us through the new birth. It is something that belongs by the family. We, just, we belong to this family because we do, right? We belong to this family because Jesus is the, the, the way. For us to belong to this family we come to the father through jesus not of our own good works not because we stewarded something well or squandered it away there's no no sense of deserving this inheritance and so the prodigal son you know comes to his senses and he has a complete uh you know epiphany here that he has sinned against heaven and sinned against his father right and that he says it's better to be a slave or be an employee in his father's house than it is to be out there separated from God, toiling with the pigs, right? So this is a picture of what it looks like when we are separated from God 
And we are not living as a son of our inheritance and not living as an, a, an unconditionally loved son. And it looks like how the things of this world never will satisfy us. They'll never be enough for to, to give us the thing that we're seeking. And then, of course, we have the elder brother on the other side who was so self-righteous, okay? The, the, the prodigal was completely unrighteous, meaning he had no righteousness. He didn't deserve to be his father's son. He didn't deserve uh, to be in his father's house. He was disqualified from sonship because of his sin, because of the sins that he had committed. So he, was, he judged himself unworthy of inheritance, unworthy of relationship to just be a slave and an employee in, in the father's house. Whereas the prodigal was so self-righteous, right? Was so in the business of earning approval, was so in the business of deserving his inheritance that, and so offended with his brother who wasn't deserving it, who wasn't earning it, that he wouldn't even call the prodigal by his name. He just said that son of yours, right? He didn't even, even associate with him as though the prodigal was his brother. Like they were not even in the same family, right? And you know where I'm going with this if you listen to my podcast very much, right? I mean, self-righteousness was the, was the problem with the Pharisees. And so many times self-righteousness is the problem in the church, right? It's why... You know, we're constantly looking at who deserves to go to heaven and who deserves to, you know, be in our churches with us and who deserves approval and who deserves love, right? And we reject people. We say they're not even a part of God's family. They're not even a part of this inheritance in Christ because of the way that they're behaving. Look at them. They do not deserve it. And I'm so angry that the Father is accepting them anyway. And so this is a beautiful picture of the Father's love. Number one, four sinners, okay, people that we judge as outside of the covenant of God, of outside of the love of God, of outside of the finished work of Christ, undeserving of the inheritance. And then the elder brother, he was working so hard to try to get something that you can only get through inheritance. And there are so many nuggets in this story. I mean, just the idea that the father tells the other, the elder brother, everything that I have is yours. You've always been with me, right? That he's, he, it's a revelation that this is not, sonship is not something that we earn. It's something that we get through our association with Jesus. And our association with Jesus is not the point. It's not that the, uh, it's not the prodigal's association with his father's son. He didn't come back and say, hey, I'm, I'm still, you know, you're, I'm still your son, even though I squandered this away, right? No, the association that we have with the father comes through Jesus Christ alone. Jesus has associated us with the Father. Jesus has associated us with the Trinity through his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. Jesus is the reason that we have access to sonship at all. It's why we are called sons of God. It's why we are called children of God. It's why everyone has been included in the work of the cross. Jesus died once for all, meaning there was one atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. That's what John the Baptist said when he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? God so loved the world that he sent his son. So this was a uh, the inclusion of humanity on, in the work of the cross is for everyone regardless of how much they've squandered it, regardless of how much they have not earned it, 
And frankly, regardless of how long they've been trying to earn it, right? So there's this performance-based system that's in work, this self-righteousness system that is in work in both of these sons. And one of them has judged themselves unworthy and frankly is being judged by the elder brother is unworthy. And, and then one of them is judging themselves as worthy. So, and it's kind of like, you know, the, the, the legalistic system of the law where, look, I've done all of these things. I've worked like a slave for you. I have been in church every single Sunday. I have tithed faithfully. I have been in ministry for 30 years, right? I have sacrificed everything for you. And therefore, I deserve the party. I deserve my inheritance. And the truth is, serving God is not the, the, the way that we receive our inheritance in Christ or we deserve the love of the Father. And you can't squander it away, right? Because there's no performance in the gospel. In fact, the gospel is the, is the, the, the proclamation that it's free. It's free. God's love is free. God's love has been decided. It, does, it was decided without our participation, right? Jesus didn't ask our permission to go to the cross. It was decided before the foundation of the world. It was decided that God would adopt us into his family and that from his perspective, we would be seen as holy and righteous from his perspective. And, and so this separation from love, this separation from God was steeped in this righteousness apart from Christ. This righteousness that was earned, this righteousness that is based on human performance. And you guys, most of us are falling into these two camps, you know, periodically through either out in our lives or through the day. And we are either operating in a self-righteousness and judging ourselves better than other people, or we are, you know, operating in a self-righteousness that judges ourselves worse than other people. Right. These two conditions of judging yourself righteous and good or judging yourself unrighteous as bad or judging each other in that system is what Jesus came to abolish. Their self-righteousness is a sneaky little booger. And what it does is it gets us to focus on our own sin and it gets us to focus on everybody else's sin. And it creates this like system of measurement of who's accepted, who's loved, and who's rejected. And the truth is rejection is not a godly principle. Acceptance is how God thinks, right? And in Ephesians, when it talks about that we were accepted in the beloved, who was accepted in the beloved? Everyone was accepted in the beloved. You know, and I've really been blowing people out of the way with the way that I've just been coming straight with this lately in my podcast. And I have, you know, it's a lot of questions. We get a lot of these questions when people come into Emerge. Why? Because we're detoxing from self-righteousness. I'm coming head on. I'm coming unapologetically to, to give you guys a revelation of self-righteousness. You know, it, it, it's so prevalent all over the internet, all over social media. We are constantly fighting to be right to have our interpretation of the scripture give us a justification for pointing out other people's wrongness and other people's sin. And we always have a but on our love, right? Well, you know, go and sin no more. That's what Jesus told, you know, the woman uh, that was caught in adultery. And so we think it's our job now to go tell people that they shouldn't go sin anymore. Because, you know, like, like we don't have a big fat log in our own eye. Like we all of a sudden become the judge of who's worthy and who's not of the gospel and God's love and God's forgiveness. 
you know, and people even use the story of the woman in, that's caught in adultery as a justification for telling people to go sin no more. But the truth is, we are not Jesus in that story, okay? In the story of the woman caught in, in, in adultery, it's the, same, it's the same parable. It's the same story, right? There's only two kinds of people. There's the people that had the, the stones in their hands, and it was the adulterous woman. So in that situation, it's the prodigal, which was the adulterous woman, and it's the elder brother with the stones in their hands. And the truth is, it's both of those people are pictures of self-righteousness. One is judged unworthy by those that are judged righteous. And everyone is, is in this boat without Jesus. That's why Jesus said, those without sin throw the first stone. In other words, no one is worthy in and of themselves. No one could throw a stone because maybe they hadn't committed adultery. Maybe they hadn't, you know, embezzled money. Maybe they hadn't, whatever, put in the, 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 the unpardonable sin that, that you think is the thing that keeps people out of the kingdom. Throw in the thing that you think, you know, un disqualifies people from enjoying God's party. Like they, they, there's something they have to do. Now, granted, we have little cool words that we say of what people have to do, right? They have to repent, right? They need to change their mind. They need to turn away from their sin, which is frankly impossible without Jesus. See, this is a message of that Jesus's message was like all kinds of performance is done. You know, him even telling the woman to go and sin no more. He was just saying, go and sin no more unless something comes worse upon you. Why? Because there's Pharisees around and they will stone you. You're living in a self-righteous system. And if you continue in this lifestyle, you're going to be killed. He didn't say, I'm going to judge you. He didn't say you were going to lose the my forgiveness. He said, I don't condemn you, woman. So who's left to do that? It's not that she was going to get condemned if she continued in a life of sin. It's just that we live in a world where people condemn us day and night based upon our performance without even realizing they have no right to condemn us that only those without sin have the right to throw a stone. And the only one that, is, that qualifies for that is Jesus. Jesus is the only righteous judge and he has judged the world not guilty. Okay, he has judged the world acquitted. He has judged the world worthy of love, unconditional love. Now I know this goes in the face of so much religious teaching that we have had, things that we don't even consider calling them religious because we've been so indoctrinated with the separation of God and we've been so indoctrinated with earning things, earning things to, to get God's approval and acceptance. But the truth is, you guys, the prodigal steeped in unrighteous living was considered righteous by the father. He said, get the sandals, get the robe, get the ring. Why? Because those are the pictures of authority and sonship and inclusion in God's family, right? He told him, you know, let's party. Let's, 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 let's just, you know, kill the fatted calf and let's have a big party. No, it was not based on anyone deserving it. He was, he was excited because he was reconciled with his son, his son who was living separated from him and, you know, had come home, meaning had come back into relationship with him. He was celebrating that his, his, his lost son had come home, right? The separation was over. The reconciliation was complete, 
right? And he invited the elder brother into this reconciliation. Not only was this a party that he was throwing for the, for the son, but here's the thing. He was inviting the elder brother into this reconciliation, not just with him, but with the prodigal as well. Because in Christ, there is neither male nor female. There's neither Greek nor Jew. There is no dividing line. There's no more us and them. There's no more righteous and unrighteous apart from Christ. There's no difference between the adulterous woman and the, the people that are picking up the stones to judge. You see, judgment goes right at the heart of what Jesus came to destroy. He came to say, everyone is included in my atoning sacrifice on the cross. Now, whether they realize it or not, guess what? The, the, the prodigal had to come to himself, meaning he had to awaken through a revelation, through an encounter with the father's love, where he put on the, the, the robe and the sandals. Like it was a revelation to the son that his God, the father's love was unconditional. It was a revelation that guess what? The father wasn't a slave driver. He didn't treat his children like employees, right? He treats them like sons. So there was a, he came to himself, right? There was an awakening. There was a revelation. There was something that happened inside of the son so that he could come back to the Lord and receive that. But on the elder brother's side, it doesn't say that he ever even went into the party. We don't know what happened. But the thing is, is that the elder brother needed a revelation of God's love too. He needed a revelation of the gospel and of separation and of self-righteousness too. See, self-righteousness goes both ways and we can't have it both ways, okay? We can't judge other people as unworthy and ourselves worthy and live in union with Jesus and live in our inheritance. Just by its very nature, guys, an inheritance is not something that we earn. We don't earn healing. We don't earn uh, prosperity in our finances. We don't earn any of the promises of God. No, we, we simply manifest those things, those things through our union with God. And we are in the Father's business by birth, meaning that we are here to expand the realm of God. We are here to expand the kingdom, which means the presence of God, the realm of God, the love of God all over the planet. We are here to make sure that love is ruling the world. Love is ruling the planet. And let me tell you, you know what turns prodigals into sons? Unconditional love. You know what turns uh, elder brothers and self-righteous people into sons? Guess what? Unconditional love and acceptance. Okay, Jesus did not condemn those that had stones in their hand any more than he condemned the woman that was caught in adultery. No, he just said this system, okay, this system is no longer to rule the planet. This self-righteousness that comes from separation from God is no longer the ruling system. The ruling system is love, agape love, unconditional love, love that accepts, love that reconciles, love that sees the best, right? When we read 1 Corinthians 13 and during the last episode, we were describing the way God loves. And one of the things we talked about is that there is no record of wrongs in God's love. He's not easily offended. He's not offended and he doesn't keep a record of wrongs. In fact, Jesus commanded people to love their so-called enemies. He said it's easy to love people that you're not offended with or that you haven't judged as unrighteous. But no, we're here to love regardless it's not about judgment anymore what we are judging people as is not guilty 
We are judging people as worthy. We are judging people as God's kids, whether they know it or not. The truth is most of us don't know it. I mean, we say we know it, but we're still living in out of the, uh, you know, place where we're eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we're looking at the world through a lens of right and wrong. And we're performing to stay right. And we're judging others to be wrong so that we feel right. Because if we feel right, maybe then we're worthy. And if we're worthy, then we can, then we can receive from God. And so this entire system is what has been abolished, you guys. And so there is a lens that you can read scripture through. It's either a self-righteous performance lens or a, you can also read it through an unrighteous, unworthy lens, or you can read it through the lens of Jesus and you can lead it, read it through the lens of union and through the finished work of the cross and what Jesus accomplished for mankind on the cross. So there's really only two kind of people on the planet, people who know it and people who don't, okay? And it is a revelation. Okay, it is a revelation of unconditional love. It is a revelation of reconciliation. It's a revelation of our value and our worth. And the cross is what, what communicates the sacrifice of God himself. You know what? It was God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Colossians chapter 1. It was God in Christ reconciling the universe, reconciling all things. Oh, I'm getting excited. Knock my water over. Reconciling all things to himself. And this reconciliation is now available for self-righteous people, right? We can set it down. We don't have to earn God's love. We don't have to perform for God's love. And we don't have to judge ourselves or other people as worthy or unworthy of God's love. This is why we are called to the least of these. This means that we sit with the people that have rejected themselves, who society has rejected, who the church has rejected. You guys, those are the very people that Jesus would be hanging out with. Okay, he would not, he would be rebuking those that are judging those people as not having a seat at the table, right? He would be telling every, uh, telling, the, you know, the religious people to put down their stones. He would be telling them, listen, there's a log in your eye. There's a log of separation in your eye. There is a log of pride in your eye that is not, a, not, not only blinding you to your own issue of independence and your own issue of performance, but it's making you un, unable to actually help anybody. You're not able to, to remove the, the splinter of unworthiness, the splinter of rejection in the very people that Jesus died for, just like he died for you. And so this separation, this uh this righteousness apart from Christ you guys this is a this is a nail in the nail in the hands of Jesus right this is what crucified Jesus self righteousness is what crucified Jesus the religious spirit is a system and it is it is fueled by separation from God it is fueled by having to earn God's love not loving ourselves unconditionally. And I will say this, this is why we cannot judge and love at the same time. We cannot judge and be loved at the same time, right? We cannot judge ourselves as unrighteous or self-righteous and receive our inheritance in God. And that's why so many scriptures talk about these things, these, these, these things. They will not be able to inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because an inheritance is based on 
not being able to perform it. And you know what these things do? I'm not, I'm not saying, I mean, sin is a huge reason why people feel separated from God. Okay. That, that will, that will keep you alienated from God in your own mind and have consequences like poverty and eating with pigs, right? So it's stupid. It's stupid to sin. It's stupid to be an adultery. It's, it's, we're not, but it's also stupid to pick up a stone. It's stupid to judge your brother as unworthy. It's stupid not to join the party. Okay. Like there's ignorance and stupidity on both sides. One isn't better than the other. It's just a different side of the coin. Right? Self-righteousness looks like pride and it looks like uh, pride manifesting in I'm worthy and it looks like pride in manifesting as unworthiness. Because what's the real definition of pride? The real definition of pride is independence. It means that I am God. It means that somehow I'm responsible. Somehow I have to, the source is myself. Okay? That is the nature of the enemy. That is the nature of the accuser. It's a system by which we judge right and wrong, righteous and unrighteous, and it has been annihilated in Christ. And I will tell you this, you guys, a revelation of righteousness by grace, righteousness by grace through faith, meaning we just receive it. It's a gift. It's not something of ourselves. We can't boast on what Jesus accomplished on the cross because we didn't do it. Jesus did, right? We can't live independent anymore. We are setting down our godship of our own lives and the ways that we have elevated ourselves to the place of God, which is what performance is. It means I'm the source of my righteousness. So whether my I fail at it and I'm just the worst, and like Paul said, I'm the least of the apostles, right? Meaning he, we judge ourselves as just, you know, a, a worm in the dirt, unworthy of God's love. And we think that's actual humility. No, that's also pride. Why? Because we judged it, right? Or we judge ourselves as, as, as better than other people. Like we, we have a list of sins, you know, we, 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 lying. Well, you know, maybe we won't get caught in that. So, you know, not everybody will know about that secret sin. But over here, you know, all of these others, these, these, you know, big sins we think of right? Or that we even fact that we judge what is sin and what isn't, you know? I mean, how about we just love? How about we just be loved? How about we just drop it all together and join the party and celebrate what Jesus has done? Celebrate our sonship, celebrate our union with God, celebrate that God was in Christ, that the father and Jesus were one. And that on the cross, the father and the son were dying us together as one. And that now we are loved. We are we are so loved. And not just now, we're just now getting it. We've been loved before the foundation of the world because from God's perspective, that's when the lamb was slain. You guys, this is a new lens, I know, for a lot of people. And I know sometimes when you hear these things for the first time, there is a cognitive dissonance that, that, that kind of rises up. And there's this like, no, 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 this can't be true. This is too good to be true. This, this can't be true. You know, this is, but the truth is you guys, we need to just stop for a second, breathe because your spirit actually rejoices in this message. There is something inherently within you that knows whether your mind gets it, whether you're cognitively unable to comprehend it, you know that this is the best news that's ever been told that this takes out the human effort element of salvation. 
and it places it right back where it belongs on Jesus Christ. Okay, this isn't a a license to sin. This isn't a license to do anything, frankly, except a license to be loved. This is a license. This is a licensed, it's an invitation into the party. It's an invitation to be a son, not based on what you've done, but just based upon how you were born. And you were born again when you were crucified with Christ, when you were buried with Christ, and when you were rose again with Christ. The new birth happened when Jesus rose from the dead. The new creation happened when Jesus rose from the dead. And all we're doing is awakening to it and, and, and realizing that it's true. It's not true because we believed it. It was true. So there's an invitation to believe it. And so now we can enjoy the party. We can enjoy unconditional love and acceptance. We can enjoy dropping the judgment against ourselves and each other. We can put on our royal robes. We can put on our royal signet rings of ownership and we can slip on the sandals uh, that of sonship, you guys, and we can enjoy life in the kingdom. We can enjoy the party in the kingdom and we can celebrate every single person that's waking up to this good news. We can celebrate it, not based on you know, a record of right and wrong, but we can celebrate that people are awakening all over the planet to God's unconditional love. So you guys, it's a new lens. It's a new day. It's the lens of unconditional love. It's the lens of righteousness in Christ. It's the lens of inheritance. It's the lens of agape. And it is our state of being, whether we realize it or not. Christ is in us. Christ is for us. We are loved. We have been reconciled. And now it's time to enjoy all that that means. And all that that means is heaven. It means heaven is our home. Heaven is our inheritance. The presence of God is where we live and move and have our being. And we are accepted unconditionally in God. And I promise if you will get this, if you will awaken to this, if when we awaken to this, sin consciousness falls off of us. And you know what the, 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 the fruit of sin consciousness is? Mm, sin. And you know what the fruit of righteousness consciousness is? Beautiful love, fruit of the spirit, and the fruit of the kingdom. So righteousness consciousness is where it's at, you guys. And I'll tell you, it's time. It's time to fall in love with the human race the way that the Father has. It's time to love people the way that the Father does. And you guys, that only flows from a place where we've dropped the judgment game. We've dropped the blame game. We're no longer judging ourselves as unworthy or worthy. We're no longer judging others as worthy or unworthy. We're just judging everyone through the lens of the gospel, which says they are one with Jesus. And it's our time to basically share this news with people so they can wake up and come to the party too. So I love you guys so much. And I just bless you and encourage you. You know what? If you need to listen to this message more than once, do it. If you need to go back and listen to previous episodes of the podcast, guys, I'm coming out, I would say swinging, but I'm coming out hugging. I'm coming out hugging you. I'm coming out hugging everyone that feels unworthy. I'm coming out hugging all of the elder brothers and all the religious people and all the people that are stuck in their, you know, performance, all the elder brothers. I'm hugging them too, right? And that's the way we're supposed to live in oneness with the Father, welcoming everybody to the party. So God bless you. I love you so much. And we'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to Shalise's podcast. This recording is, in part, made possible by our listeners. 
To partner with us, visit Shalice.com, where you can donate and help us spread the good news of our unshakable union with Christ around the globe. You can also find a link there to download Shalice's book, The Path, for free. And if you're ready to discover the call of God on your life and the purpose He created you for, then visit us at Shalice.com and watch Shalice's free training where you'll hear five keys to hearing God about your life purpose and transitioning into it. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, don't forget, the world needs the Christ in you.